Uh, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Praise the Lord. Wow. So one of my jobs this morning was when I first got here was to turn the heater off for the water. So I, we just turned it off. It is really nice and warm in this water. So praise the Lord. We've had quite a bit of rain, a lot of water that the Lord brought, but we praise God that he has, through his son Jesus, uh, given us a way, an example, to show what it looks like, the change and the transformation that happened in our hearts that moment that we believed in Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We call that baptism because Jesus told us as his followers that once we put our faith and trust in him for the salvation of our sin, and we put that trust in him and him alone, that he says that we are to be baptized. And so just want to welcome you here this morning. And as you can tell, we're going to begin our worship service this morning uh, by baptisms. And so it's, it's always a wonderful time in the life of any local uh, church to witness baptisms. And so this is a blessing not only for the three friends we have this morning who will be baptized, but for all of you, because this is a great encouragement and a reminder of what God has done through his son Jesus. Baptism is one of what we call the two ordinances that Jesus gave to the church. Those are directives or commands. And he told the church that we are to remember him through what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And we do that by taking the bread and the cup. We do that here at Trinity once a month. And we do that, as Jesus said, in remembrance of him. But the other thing that Jesus told the church to do until he comes back is to baptize believers. And so that it is a big part of what we like to do here as being obedient to the Lord Jesus, but also recognizing that it's a big step and a bold step and an important step in the life of any believer. The scripture shows us that baptism happens all different times in the journey of people with Jesus. Usually it happens pretty close to that moment they believe. But regardless, we have three friends here this morning who have heeded that call to be obedient to the Lord Jesus and to be baptized, because baptism, very simply, is an outward symbolic expression of the transformation that has already happened in their hearts. For we do not believe that the Bible teaches baptism confers salvation on us, so it is not part of our saving, uh, but yet it is an important part of what we do showing publicly that we are committing our lives to, him, to live for him as his disciple, as his follower. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so first, I would like to invite our friend Uriah Gerhardt. You would come on down. So, um, Uriah came to me and said that uh, as he had heard me talking about baptisms, that uh, after understanding what that looked like, we had a great conversation, and he was excited to be able to do that uh, before all of you. 
and so that's what we're going to do this morning, uh, remembering that as we um, go under the water, it is symbolically a picture of us being dead in our sins, dead to our sins because Jesus died for our sins. So it, it uh, symbolizes his death and burial. But of course, when Uriah comes up out of the water, it symbolizes in a very powerful way the fact that we have the promise of new life because Jesus rose to life. Amen? And so it's a wonderful picture of that. So, Uriah, I just got a couple of questions for you. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and alone for the salvation of your soul? And are you now willing to publicly say that you want to be a follower of Jesus to live your life for him as he has called you to live? Therefore, it is my great privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Congratulations. Hallelujah. That's great. So, next we have our dear sister, Marianne Lang. So, Marianne, why don't you come on down? Do you want to? You didn't think we were going to make it easy for you, did we? Good. So Marianne has been uh, a part of our fellowship and our family here at Trinity for many years. And it's just been such a privilege to see her grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just been wonderful to not only get to know her, but to grow along with her, to see her become in a very important part of our fellowship. And so it's even more exciting to uh, be able to talk to Marianne and see that she wanted to, to take this next step in her journey with Jesus. And so Marianne would like to say a few words uh, about what this means to her. So. started my search about eight years ago. Visit the churches. I used to see what's going on out there. And I think things were happening to me, and I felt grateful, and I couldn't find the outlet for it. So coming to this church, listening to the first sermon, that's what got me to stay. That helpful, calm, I'm going to stay. So being baptized, it's taken me eight years, but I felt I needed to, to grow and learn that part because I didn't know how to do I'm learning. It's still learning. And two weeks ago, Pastor Keith was, uh, did his sermon and he mentioned baptism. And then the next week he mentioned it. And then when he mentioned that Jesus was baptized, he said, my way, you know, why, why not me? Yeah, it's, it's something that you do to show your faith, that you're committed to the faith, and that you believe I want to thank my friend, Joan Marie Terry, 
So excited. Who's in control here? <laughs> Holy Spirit, I have two questions for you. You can hold your nose if you want. Okay. Have you, with your faith and trust, the Lord Jesus Christ, alone, the salvation of yours? Are you now publicly proclaiming what is your desire in the heart's desire? You follow him in all your ways. Along with the Holy Spirit's Well then, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? Amen. Well, before I um, invite our uh, final baptizee this morning, um, I just want to echo some of those words that um, not only has it been a great uh, privilege to get to know Marianne, but when she mentioned Ruth, you know, it's just a, a great reminder that um, that we all need family. You'll hear a little bit more about that in a few minutes this morning's message, but we need people around us that are supporting us and encouraging us in our walk with Jesus. So we're glad that all of you are here today. I hope and trust that you have a faith community such as this one to strengthen you and to guide you, to challenge you, and uh, and to love you, to love you the way that Jesus has loved us. And so finally, I would like to invite Bentley. Bentley, would you come down here, Bentley, please? Yes, love it. I would like to thank my dad. Say hi, Dad. 
<laughs> and my mom, Samantha, she's also there. Hello. Uh, and my grandmother. Uh, usually I call her Mimi, but she's also known as Tina. You may know her. That's all. Uh, that's all. Um, if you don't love him already, get to know Bentley, because we love him here, and uh, he is a special part of this church, and he is a special young man with a big heart, a great intellect, and a lot of maturity way beyond his years. He is also an expert uh, swimmer and scuba diver, all right? So he didn't even need to bring his scuba diver But, um... It's been uh, my privilege to get to see him grow as well and to be able to help him in this way right now. So, Bentley, I have a couple of questions for you. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and alone for the salvation of your And are you now, before before all of your family and friends, committing to live your life for Jesus in every way possible through the power of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, it is my great privilege and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Maybe dangerous to ask, but the water's still warm. Anyone else? You know, to be like the Ethiopian who said, why should I not get baptized when he saw that body of water, right? Praise the Lord. And so the last thing I'll say before we have a wonderful time of worship through music is that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have not yet been baptized, I encourage you to do so. You see what it looks like and how we do that here at Trinity and what we believe about it biblically. It's an important step in the life of a believer. It doesn't have to be the first thing you do after uh, believing, but yet, as you can see, it's an important thing to do, and as Marianne shared, Jesus himself was baptized as an example for us. What better reason to do that? So I leave you with that. I would ask that you would all stand now, and I'm going to pray us into a time of worship. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, how grateful we are for just an awesome start to our worship gathering here this morning. Father, we can worship you in many different ways. We want to do do so through song, music right now. But God, thank you that we can give you honor and praise and worship you through the act of baptism and through the witness of baptism. Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus, 
for he is the difference maker, the one who changed everything. And he is the one in whom we put our faith and trust for salvation and for the hope and promise of eternal life. And so, Father, we just pray your continued blessing over us this morning. This is our time of celebration together as your church, your body. And so, Father, now we want to lift up holy hands. We want to sing songs of praise to you. And, Father, I ask simply and with humility that you would, through your spirit, that you would awaken and enliven our spirits as we hear the music play, that it would touch our soul, and that as we sing these songs of truth, may we be reminded in a very powerful way of who we are in you and who you are, our God and our creator. So we say thank you, Lord. May you be pleased and blessed by our time of worship now. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So remain standing and worship along with us this morning. What gift of grace is Jesus my
Feel the promise You'll 
Well, good morning again. Welcome, welcome. Well, so good to see all of you. Um, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord for uh, what he has been doing already this morning. 
trust that you enjoyed your time of worship. And uh, we have our, our young ones that went down the hall. They were able to witness the baptism, and they always join us for worship, so we love that. And uh, so we always pray for them and thank those that are helping out there. Uh, and so just wanted to, to highlight a few things, what's going on in the life of Trinity. We call this uh, Church Life Updates. Remember that this coming um, Saturday is the uh, outreach. Am I right with that? Where's the Andrew and Elizabeth? We have, uh, yep, that's right. No, we're good. So it's next Saturday is our outreach for the month, and that is into Newark. Uh, we've done that before. It's right near Penn Station. And uh, if you're interested in going, all of the details, like the timing and where to meet and anything like that, is on the website, trinityallenwood.com. But it's a wonderful opportunity maybe to step out of your comfort zone if you haven't been out with us on an outreach um, at all in the past. But uh, this one is where we actually take the train in. You have to drive into Newark, and the place that we are is a park right outside of Penn Station in downtown Newark, and there are many people there that are in need of hope. And uh, so a great opportunity. All the details about when we're doing it, the times, and what we're doing specifically is on our website. So keep that in mind for next Saturday the 30th. Um, we have been pushing the date uh, for the Wednesday evening service to kick off, and so we're just holding on to that. Myself and Pastor Mike from Shiloh and Pastor Dave from Allenwood are still planning. Uh, we kind of got um, sidetracked by a few different things, and so we're not starting that this Wednesday just yet. So you'll, you'll be um, notified when we're starting that Wednesday service up again and what it's going to look like. So, uh, for the time being, our prayer gathering is still here on Wednesdays at 7 p.m., right? Because that was a part of what we do at the service, but we're continuing that. So, uh, for the time being, prayer is Wednesday evenings um, here at 7 o'clock. Uh, remember, our Tuesday studies for men and women are underway, Tuesday mornings. Um, we have our first young adult gathering for the fall is this coming Tuesday at our house. We'll be hosting at least this first one. Uh, and so we've been reaching out to them. If you have any young adults in your life, let's say between uh, 18 and 30 is about the age range, then please come and see me. I'll tell you all about it. And um, we had some great time of fellowship over the summer, and we were going to uh, uh, begin gathering together regularly this fall. And so that's starting on this Tuesday. We have the, the retreats coming up in October, the men's retreat and the women's retreat. Please register online, get all the information for that. If you have said that you are going and that's your intention, please just go to the website and register for that so we know who actually is, is coming. And then finally, the last thing is our angel tree um, gift-giving uh, ministry. And so we do this this time every year. It's actually for Christmas gifts. And yes, we have to start that now, right? You're probably seeing Christmas decorations all over the stores and kind of skip over Thanksgiving. We get right to Christmas. And so um, yes, it is that time when we start doing that kind of planning. And so the Angel Tree Ministry, if you haven't heard of that or participated before, is where we, uh, if you volunteer, if you'd like to buy and deliver, if you'd like, um, new Christmas gifts for children um, and grandchildren whose parents, one or more or both parents, are incarcerated. And so this is a, a ministry that was started many years ago and, and brought to us by uh, Debbie Carver uh, who's one of our long-term missionary partners. And, um, and so we love to participate that in, in that every year. So if you're interested, you can sign up after service in the lobby. You can see Angela for that. She'll be there, 
and you can sign up. And that's simply where you are um, committing to, to buy uh, gifts and maybe even deliver, if you like, gifts to children whose uh, parents are incarcerated. It's a wonderful ministry. Hundreds and hundreds of kids are blessed by that. We'd love to participate. So make sure that you uh, see Angela in the lobby afterwards if you have an interest or you have more questions about that. All right. Um, I'd like to pray for us. And then Claudia and I, as many of you know, have set this day aside to share, to share about um, stories, to share our thoughts, to share uh, what God uh, was doing in and through us on the island of Maui as um, our kids, uh, our oldest daughter and her husband live there and minister there and work there. And uh, we were privileged to be able to go for a couple of weeks to serve alongside of them uh, in the aftermath of the devastating wildfires uh, that happened, especially in Lahaina. They're all around the island, but especially in the city and town of Lahaina on August 8th. And so we're going to do that this morning, but I'd like to pray uh, and then we'll begin. All right. So let's pray together. Father, Again, we're thankful for what you've been doing already today here at Trinity. Thank you for blessing us, Lord. Now, Father, as we look at your word and uh, we are reminded by the powerful stories of amazing people that you have brought into our life and into our family, Buddy and I, we are forever grateful for that. Lord, um, we just want to share what's on our hearts and the things that you have shown us and opened our eyes to. I pray, God, we would all be encouraged this morning to remember that our true hope in any circumstance lies only in you, Jesus. And God, that we would also be challenged, challenged to continue to pray, challenged to get involved in other people's lives, and challenged to always dig deeper into your word to be filled, to have our minds renewed about the things that break your heart and the things that you are concerned about, the things and the people that you love, so that our hearts would break what breaks yours and that we would love others as you have loved us. So, Father, we ask your blessing on the remainder of our time together, and we ask, as always, in the name of Jesus, amen. We'd like to start by showing you a brief video, and this was put together by our daughter, Lauren, our oldest daughter, and her husband, Ben. And they are the ones that live and work on island in Maui. And they just wanted to share a few words. So that's what we will begin with.
<laughs> mahalo in um, Hawaiian language means thank you. And so we want to say mahalo to all of you. Thank you for praying. Thank you on their behalf. We thank you for, for supporting us to go, for encouraging us to go, to praying for us while we were there. And we just ask you to continue prayers. So, again, we say thank you. But also, there's a very common term in Hawaiian language, and that is aloha. And um, aloha can be used for hello or goodbye, but it's uh, most often used as a greeting. And there is this wonderful animated film called Lilo and Stitch from many years ago, many of you know. And there's a famous line in there that the character, a young girl from Hawaii, says, and she's struggling in, in her story in this movie with fitting in. Where does she fit in in life, and where does she fit into her family? But she always likes to say, Ohana means family. And family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. I just want to start with a brief word or two about Ohana, and then Claudia's going to share some stories, and I'll share as well, about people that we met and things that got us impressed upon us in our time there. Ohana does mean family. It's a greeting, and in a way, it means ohana. It means um, it means hello. It means we are all together. We say aloha to say hello. We say ohana to say that when we are greeting you, we are reminding you that we are in this together. It is a very important part of the Hawaiian culture, and. Claudia and I knew that word, and we thought we knew what it meant. But in our time there, in meeting so many different people, dozens and dozens of people who lost their homes, who lost their jobs, who lost their loved ones to the devastating fires in early August, we got to learn a little deeper and a little better what Ohana really means. Ohana does mean family, but it's not just blood family. It's like your extended family. It's those friends that you know are part of your life. But what's so wonderful about it is Ohana really extends beyond that. It means they are all in this together. It's part of their culture. They live this way in their lifestyle. Ohana means so much to the people in Hawaii. Those that are native to the islands, those that are locals and have called it home for many years. Ohana means family. It's an important part of their culture. And you know what struck me and Claudia was that Ohana should be a word that all Christians know to some degree. Mm -hmm. Because are we not called to be a family? We are called the body of Christ. And why? Because we need each other. The Apostle Paul talks so much about unity in the church, how we are to live this life not alone but together because we need each other. And we're telling you that the people in Hawaii, those that we have met, not only because it's part of their tradition and culture, but because they truly live it out. They really mean it when they talk about Ohana. And I'd like to share how um, one of the things I was rem reminded of this morning is that when Lauren and Ben were leaving for Maui, we had the privilege of bringing them up here to pray for them. And many of you guys were here and remember that we prayed them out and just asked the Lord's covering and protection over them as they went to Maui. And they could not get over just, they kept thanking 
us and saying, please thank, like they, they were hearing all the stories of all the people that are praying, all the people that were encouraging us to, to get out there and to go and, and to be with them. And, um, and so in, in that regard, you know, you, you showed your Ohana to them, you know, uh, from a distance that, that, that this family here is praying and encouraging them and loving them from a distance. And so that was, that was uh, a wonderful thing. The other thing that I, I, I love, and if you've, if you've had the opportunity to visit um, Hawaii, everyone is an auntie there, you know? And so it just, it, it kind of, you know, you don't have to be an official aunt to get that title. But if you're an older person and, and you're kind and you're loving to somebody, pretty quickly they begin to call you auntie. Uh, they, uh, there is a, a beautiful woman, um, at the, at the church where our kids, uh, attend and she is their auntie and she's the reason why they decided to go to that church. Uh, she is born and raised in Hawaii and a big heart. And, um, she just took them in from the start. Like when their first visit, their first visit, um, she just met them right away and just kind of loved on them right away. And they were just telling us about auntie. And so just to, to chime in on the whole Ohana, what that really means. Um, you've probably seen many, many pictures the last couple of months of what Lahaina looks like now. And just for perspective, you know, it's about, it was about a five mile um, long area that was devastated by this quickly moving wildfire. There were four wildfires on the island at the same time. Maybe aware of that. Of course, this was the most devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one, what they call upcountry in Hula, another town where they lost access to clean water for about six weeks. They couldn't shower with it or do laundry or even boil it uh, because the, the heat from the fire was so intense, it melted some of the waterline pipes and these toxins water mm-hmm. so we know about the devastation of before and after and what it you know about what it looked like and kind of how it looks now and if i could just jump in um one of the things that became really clear to us while we were on island is that the part of what happened with lahaina is that the fires started in kula which is a different area so um all the resources had been had been sent up to the Kula area, upcountry, as they say, um, on the island. And when the Lahaina fire started, because of the winds and because of um, just the fact that all the resources had been sent up to Kula, the fires in Lahaina were basically uncontested. They just took off, and the winds, and uh, one account tells about, you know, a, a power line falling on a gas station, and the gas station had tar roof, so the tar like with the wind went and just just took took off i mean i still got chills thinking about um thinking about it so there were no alarms you know people were in their homes they didn't even realize until they were the fire was upon them you know so if you can just picture the the scene of these people trying to run for their lives people as you may have heard in the news jumping into that bay right there to try to get away from the fire because the way that um the way that the, the landscape is there's really two main roads that get you out of that area. And there were lines of cars trying to get out and the fire was coming up on them and people just, some of them abandoned their cars, jumped into the water to, to get 
you know, to try to survive. And of course, it was, what was it, uh, 70 mile per hour winds, I think. So imagine what the water was like, you know. So to jump into, into the ocean in that, in that condition was not like a safe place either. So just, just to kind of paint the picture of what, what people were dealing with. Um, a couple of pictures from the outreach. So we, we did two main things when we were there. We were there for two weeks. The first week, we, um, we served alongside Ben and Lauren and their team with uh, the mission that's called the Maui Rescue Mission. What's unique about the Maui Rescue Mission is they don't have a building where they bring people in and house them like maybe a traditional mission, but what they do is unique to the island and unique to the need, because when you're gonna help somebody, you need to understand the needs, right? Um, and so they have a, um, uh, you can see in the background there behind the tent, they have a trailer that is a mobile shower and laundry unit. And so they go to a certain location in the morning, it's a church in uh, town, and the church has allowed them to use their water supply, and they fill up their tank for the day. It heats up the water, and there is a shower and a laundry unit. So they allow people, mostly those who are um, unhoused or homeless and are struggling with poverty and living out, usually in, in the woods uh, somewhere, and they allow them to be able to take a shower, a nice hot shower to provide all of the, the toiletries. And while they are showering, the serving team does the laundry for them. So when they are done, it's a quick wash and dry. And when they are done, they have clean clothes to put on. Mm -hmm. And uh, they go and do this for about four or five hours every day that they go out to different locations around the island. So it's called Maui Rescue Mission, yeah. and that's what they do. Mainly. Yeah, and the, uh, the neat thing about it, too, is that part of their strategy in the way that they do their outreach is that they're intentional about building relationships with the people that come to to the outreach. So... While that they have to, they're kind of like stuck there waiting, right, for, you know, their clothes to be washed. And so there's time for the volunteers and the staff to actually develop relationships with people and try to get to know them by name and try to, you know, understand their stories, share, you know, with them that there is hope for them and, and where that hope is found, uh, as we know, in Jesus. And so um, it, it's a beautiful um, setup. And, and because it is mobile, of course, they have the flexibility of going to the areas where, um, where the unhoused are. And so... One of the things they were able to do is, uh, because one of the fires that was in Hula, which is upcountry, separate from Lahaina, which is where they lost supply to water, there were people that still had their homes. Some had lost their homes, but most of the people still had their homes. Uh, most of them had lost their jobs, but they didn't have any uh, fresh water to do anything, uh, to cook, to drink, to do laundry, to shower. And so um, the county partnered with Maui Rescue Mission and asked them to come up country and go to different locations to help those people. So it was all different kinds of people on the island because everybody was affected. But they were able to partner with other organizations, including the county, to provide this very special um, service. Yeah, and the interesting thing was uh, just how God works, right? That um, they had been trying to work with the county for a long time, and they just hadn't found an in. And now, all of a sudden, the county was reaching out to them, you know, for help. And so God just works in mysterious ways. 
So this is Troy. Claudia, you want to share a little bit about Troy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Troy has his walking stick. Um, he, um, you know, we just started chatting while we are at the outreach. And what struck me about Troy is that he um, is so optimistic and positive. And he was just like, you know, he, he was heartbroken and he shared, you know, he said, you know, he said, this, this affected all of us. You know, he said, yeah, I was already homeless. He said, but this, this is just such a blow to our entire island. And he said, we're all, we're all heartbroken about this. And it was just, you know, it was this combination of him being strong and kind of, you know, hopeful, but, but still just, um, you know, just sharing how devastated he was. He lives in the woods by, by, the, um, by the outreach where we were, and he shared that he was an army medic. Um, and, um, you know, in years gone by. And so he knows a lot about, you know, health issues and this and that. And, you know, we, we, we talked for a little while, but then he said that he's a walking miracle. And I said, I said, really? And he said, yeah. He says, I've been bitten three times by a scorpion. And I was like, oh, something, you know, of course my mind is like, oh, so they're right over there in the woods. Like, right where you are, you know, um, and I was just like, oh my gosh, you're not kidding, you know, um, but he just, you know, he was just um, really, you know, sweet, and he, he, we asked him, do you, do you believe in God, and he said, yes, he says, in fact, he says, we have church right over there, and he pointed to the, you know, to the picnic area, he says, we have church over there, he said, except when people come and have birthday parties here, and then they kind of kick us out, and then we have to go find somewhere else to go, and so, um, so yeah, it was just, a, it was a nice conversation. Sure, as well as special guys because I think he's been uh, in uh, that situation for many years, but he's lived in the, in the woods there in this park by the beach for many years. I think it's about six years and kind of become like the de facto mayor of the area because mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. other people that are struggling yeah. with homelessness that also live in those woods in and around that area. Yeah. Those are the people that gather on Sunday mornings to sit around with their Bibles and have some form of church together. Um, and he watches out for those. They, they, uh, he was probably the first one that really started to open my eyes to what Ohana truly means. But they are a community, and they help each other, and they tell each other about this service. They encourage them that these people are good people. They say it's a safe place. Sometimes people will come to the outreach locations just to sleep, because they don't have to worry for four or five hours about being attacked or having their stuff stolen or whatever. They come and they sleep because they know that these are good people who love God and want to help them. Mm-hmm. And so that's a beautiful um, picture as well, the people finding peace mm-hmm. in a, a place and in a life in general where they just generally don't feel um, safe or secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a pleasure to meet uh, Troy, we didn't see any scorpions, and uh, <laughs> we truly believe that we didn't want to find out for ourselves. But uh, an amazing person, buddy. Why don't you share about this? Young yeah. Man? So this is uh, this is Malika, and um, um, so the second week that we were on island, we were at the church, and we were um, helping the the pastoral team to hand out um, some uh, checks to people who lost their homes and their jobs. 
and um, they had gone through the process of vetting. And so while we did that, we were able to give them the checks, but we were also asked, you know, able to check in on people and just kind of see what their stories were and what had happened. And, um, and, and if they allowed us to, we would pray with them. And Malika, um, Malika's story, she was the one who actually requested the photo on her phone first. And I was like, hey, great idea. Cause I, you know, we keep forgetting to take photos, right? And so she was like, oh yeah, here, you know, uh, let's, let's take a photo. She's a single mom and her husband died during COVID. She lost his ashes in her home when the fire came. And that was, that was the main thing that she was upset about that she kept talking about was like, she lost his ashes, you know? And now she's a single mom and she's caring for her mother and she's caring for her kids. And just, she says, you know, I just, um, I just need a break, right? That was what she, she was like, I just. Wondering why God hasn't given her a break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, as we were, we were talking and, you know, part of, part of the, the conversation was just like, look, we, we don't have the answers. We don't have words. And lots of times we really don't. Um, all we can say is that we know that God will be close to the brokenhearted and that we pray that he would be close to her and that he would strengthen her um, and allow her to, you know, to, to get the strength that, you know, she needs. And, um, you know, as, as she was getting ready to leave, um, we asked if we could pray for her and she allowed me to pray for her. And as I prayed, you know, I, I just, you know, prayed and asked the Lord to give me words and, you know, to know what to pray for. And apparently God really did guide my prayer because after we prayed, was like, she looked at me and she was just like, wow. <laughs> she said, that was, that was good. <laughs> she, said, she said, that's exactly what I needed prayer for, you know? And she was just like, I, I do. I, wow. And that's when she asked for the photo. And it was just such a gift, you know, to know that at the very least, like we were able to just love on her and, you know, give her some hope and some encouragement, you know? Um, but yeah. That was so really we good. did, as Claudia mentioned, for the first week, we served alongside uh, our kids and the team with the Maui Rescue Mission. And for the second week, we served alongside their church called Hope Chapel. It's um, one of the largest churches on the island. And um, so they have a lot of resources, but they're also well known. So um, once support started coming in from people all over the world, um, they became one of those hubs on the island of Maui to receive donations, financial donation of money, and also physical donations. And um, we were able to partner with them. So what that looked like for that second week is they had a donation center um, like that. And it was what they normally call their living rooms. It was kind of the gathering space for Sunday mornings where the coffee shop is and everything. And they said, we don't need to do that right now. Um, we can do other things, but we need to do this with that space. And so um, that big uh, sort of windowed area in the back is the main entrance off the parking lot. And uh, you can see the TVs in the background where they normally are sitting and having coffee. But they turned the whole area into a donation center. But what they did was they spread the word, of course, and through Ohana, word spreads on the island. They call it... Um, Coconut, coconut, wireless. <laughs> coconut wireless. Coconut wireless. Coconut wireless. How the word <laughs> so quickly. Dude, it's like, um, if you picture a coconut as a phone, you know. Yeah. 
We were like, coconut. at first I thought, oh, maybe that's like the real name. And then they all laugh and they're like, no, no, no. It's just yeah. kind of how word gets around. Yeah, that's how things are done on the island. Yeah. Because uh, they care for one another. <laughs> and so, so and, and, and not exaggerating, from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, this, uh, it was Tuesday through Saturday, this donation center was open. And there was constantly a line of about probably 10 to 20 people at any given time waiting outside to come in and receive donations. Because they didn't just all come in at once. They had volunteers from the church and from other organizations that would come and be personal shoppers for these people that had lost everything. Mm -hmm. So they would be welcomed in, offered a bottle of water, a person of a family, and they would be, um, they'd be taken around, uh, around the tables with a cart, a rolling cart, with this personal shopper, and they whatever the people needed or wanted that were on the tables or the shelves, that shopper would take it, put it on the cart, and would continue around. And when they were done, no rush, that volunteer would push that cart with them out to their car and load it into their car for them. So you don't just say, "Here's donations," mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. "Here's what we can give you." Mm -hmm. It's let's treat these people with ohana, let's treat them with love and care. Uh, as they are Dignity. All, all of us mm -hmm. made in the image of God, and mm -hmm. to love them, mm -hmm. right, with respect and integrity. Um, and so that's the way this was happening. And mm -hmm. so then what you, you can see in the background, this is sort of where the church offices are. They were also at the same time giving out financial support that people could apply for on the church website. And it wasn't all the church's money. It was as donations came in, the church was just giving it out. And so people would sign up. Um, if they had lost their home or their job in, in Lahaina, and they would come and volunteers, such as Claudia and myself from the church, would spend time from noon until five, five hours every day, meeting with a flow of people, it was a constant flow of people for five hours, that we would have the privilege of handing them their support check, and then taking 10 to 15 minutes with them and that family, praying for them, asking how they're doing, um, a, a lot of grief and trauma counseling you can do in 10, 15 minutes, and then we would pray. Then we would go inside, and we would get another check with another name, and we would take that family outside that area and pray. So in the background, you can see other volunteers praying with other people receiving donations. So that's why I said we met dozens and dozens of people and we prayed for them. And as Claudia mentioned, before we share some more personal stories, was one of the things that we really noticed ourselves doing was that we realized early on, we really could have said, we can't fix their situation. And, and so money um, is very helpful to them, of course, and they're thankful, but it didn't fix their mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. And we realized we couldn't fix them or, or their problem, but what we could do is be a listening ear. We could share some scripture, and we literally could all find ourselves just saying, we are so, so very sorry for what you're going through. How can we help you? How can we pray for you? Sometimes we get to share part of our own story, um, and everybody was willing to accept prayer. So that's what we would do. Um, and there were verses that I think that often would come to mind that we would share with them. And mm -hmm. the one that I shared most often in our prayers or just with the people was Psalm 91.1. It says, Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So it's been a beautiful verse for me. And just to share with people, look, you can trust in God no matter what. You might not understand why he's allowing these things to happen, but he's still God. 
and he's still trustworthy. And he is truly the only hope. And reminding them, just giving them a picture that, that we can come to God any time of stress in our lives and find shelter in him, the most high God. And when we do that, we will then be abiding and staying in and dwelling in his shadow, shadow so much. It's a beautiful thing. And so we were able to share that and, and other scriptures, um, people. So um, this we're going to get to in just a minute. Uh, that's sort of how we ended our time. But um, but I want to share uh, some other names and stories. If mm-hmm. you'd be willing to talk about Julie. Yes. Um, so um, as Keith mentioned when we first started, the um, the first order of business for us when we got to, to Maui was to help the helpers, right? Um, it was very early on in the whole like, disaster, and they weren't really ready to mobilize teams, volunteer teams at that point. Um, but because of our, our, our experience and our work, we were able to just kind of get there without any supervision and just get hit the ground and, and do things. One of the things that um, that we started to do first, of course, was just check on our kids. Because as you can see in the, from the video, they were tired, weary, uh, discouraged, overwhelmed. And so we, we just had the opportunity to just bless them. And so the first few days, Keith was going to uh, the second week Keith was going to the church and and helping there and I stayed back with Lauren and Ben and just was kind of helping and running whatever they needed you know errands and all the things right Uh, mama's hearts mama's here in the building understand right we're taking care of them and whatever we could do to ease their burden Um, and so the the day that I was going for the first time to the to the um church I kind of was like I don't know if I'm really needed like Keith's got it you know and maybe you know I should just do other things like I can be more helpful doing blah 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 you know and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all these things and the very first person that I got to meet her name um, her name is Julie and you know she came out with us to, to that little area that you know you saw in the picture and um, we just, you know, we Keith gave her the check and we said, we just want to check on you. And she started to try to get words out and she couldn't. She just started sobbing. And then you could see her like she wanted to, she thought about hugging Keith, but then she looked at me and she just came, <laughs> she came like right over to me and just hugged me and sobbed on my shoulder for, I, I don't even know. I I don't even know how long. And then she kept apologizing. And I said, no, you don't need to apologize. Like, that's why we're here. Like, it's okay. You know, and I take as long as you need. And then she, you know, then she explained that just before the fires, her husband had filed for a divorce. And now she doesn't have a home. She doesn't have a job. And her husband filed for divorce. And so she's just, she finally got those words out, you know, and, um, and so we could completely understand, like, why, you know, um, why I was there at that moment. Because I don't know that she would have given him a hug, you know. Uh, I think you're huggable, but, you know, not everybody does. And so, <laughs> um, but she just, you know, but we were able to minister to her and just love on her. And just, we told her about the local church there. And we said, you know, this is a good place. Like, people are going to, you know, be there to encourage you and to, you know, to strengthen you. and. 
Um, and you know, it just, it, like Keith has said, and we knew this, and thank you. I want a, a special shout out to my dear friend Linda, who's here, who sent us plenty of, she, she does counseling, and she sent us all this trauma counseling information that we read, and we were, you know, on that nice long flight. We had lots of time to, you know, to prepare and just kind of freshen up on some things. So we, we realized that we were not going there to, to, you know, to really fix anything. But we just wanted to, to let people know that we were there and that there's lots of people back home praying. I can't tell you guys, when we told them we were from New Jersey and we were there to volunteer and to help, everybody that we told started to cry. They started to cry. They were just like, what? You know, like, thank you. And they would just start crying. At first they were felt sorry for it. <laughs> they were like, you live in New Jersey? Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So that was Julie. And it was just like, you know, it was just a blessing uh, because I just felt like God was saying, no, you're right where I need you to be. You know, just keep doing what you're doing and, and, and go. Yeah. Julie hugged Claudia a few more times. Conversation. She yeah, did. she did. She did. Say a few words and hug her. And, mm-hmm. But that's, the point is, is that there's what we can call a ministry of presence, where you don't have to know what to say, and you've probably all been in those situations. You're there. Your presence is so important. People needed somebody that they thought they could trust, even though they didn't know us, that they could trust and just feel safe with, and just talk and share. Uh, and that's what we were there to do. I think we were able to help them. And the other thing I was going to say that you, you did say is so important. Just about everybody in that 10 to 15 minutes that we had with them, we told them about that church. Whether they were a believer or not, we said, we believe in Ohana, and we know that you, you all need each other. Because they all mm-hmm. said that, we're gonna, we need each other. But you know what? Mm-hmm. We said, when FEMA leaves, when these other organizations leave, and they're, they're there to do good things, eventually they're going to leave, because they're meant to be temporary. Mm-hmm. The church is still going to be here. Mm-hmm. And... This is a good, safe place. People will love you. They have resources. It's a good place to go. We told moms that had teenagers about the youth group. Mm-hmm. Um, they had seen so many new families coming to the church. The Sunday before we got there, they had 260 kids in their, their Sunday school class. <laughs> yeah. Makes you want to sign up to volunteer, doesn't it? <laughs> so the point is, we were able to say, like, this church and these people are going to be here long term. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we know that you need community, so you'll be able to find mm-hmm. it. Let me tell you briefly about Tina. Um, she had lost her house. Her whole family was saved. They lost their house, jobs. They got their grandpa Bob out. But she said two weeks after the fire, he passed away, Grandpa Bob. He started crying. She said he was on dialysis. And because of the fire, he missed two dialysis appointments. One, because they couldn't get there. It was like two days after the mm-hmm. fire. Everything was still chaotic. Mm-hmm. And the second time was because the place she went still didn't have electricity. And so they lost their grandpa mm-hmm. not in the fire, but two weeks later because of the fire. And I have to say, church, that was the first story that really struck me. Like, you see about tragedies on the news all the time. Because after this, of course, what did we see? We saw earthquake, right? In, in, in Morocco, like northern Africa, we saw that tremendous flooding in Libya. We've seen other wildfires like mm-hmm. Greece and other places. You see that, and you just get overwhelmed, but you realize it's not just, we know it's 
people, but it's not just like losing their lives, which is the most tragic, but you think about all of the ramifications. People that lost all their meds that they need every day just mm-hmm. live and survive. Mm-hmm. Right. So many people saying that they um, didn't even have a car now because their cars are burned up. Or, as we said, people, many people talk about the ashes of their loved ones, or the loved ones that they lost. Fine. I met um, a couple of Farris and Andy. I said, Farris, interesting name. It's a, a lady. What kind of name is that? She said, I don't know. My parents grew up in the 80s. That's <laughs> what so she said. Farris and Andy, they worked for a surf company in Lahaina. Of course, that was destroyed. So they lost their home but lost their job. And they couldn't get unemployment because their company had just been bought out by a larger surf company. And now that larger surf company was saying, you don't qualify for unemployment because you haven't worked for us, this new company, for more than People struggling, fighting with insurance, with unemployment. And you think about that, and then another person comes to mind, Sherry, older woman. She said she lost six homes in Lahaina. And your first thought is, she lost six homes. She's got to have money, right? But she said that was her business. Over the years, it's been there decades, she bought different homes and rented them out. A couple of them were a bed and breakfast. They were Airbnb. That was her livelihood. She lost all six of their homes, including the one she lived in. And she had one client who had booked uh, a week there because they were having a wedding in one of her homes. And um, it was four days after the fire that this person who had booked contacted her and said, I want my deposit back. And I want it back in 15 days or else you're going to hear from my lawyer. And so you think about that, you're like, well, I'd like to meet that The types of things that people are going through that you just can't even think of, right? And that we don't consider. She was gracious about it. But this is another stressor she had to deal with. That somebody was demanding money back, and four days later, he was still living with friends, not wondering what was going on. And all the fires weren't even out there. So... As we were thinking, and you know, we there were so many other stories, right? We got we we were privileged. It was truly a privilege to be able to to uh, enter into that space and to see what um, people were were going through and to try to just offer them some some uh, encouragement. One of the things that that kind of struck us is you know the need was was obviously so great and. Um, in seeing even for, you know, the church where our kids go is a larger church. They have a big staff. They were all overwhelmed. You know, the people that, um, that we met, the people that were serving, um, all overwhelmed. But yet there's this, this sense, right? And it's hope, right? That, that they will help each other as long as they can. One of the things that, that struck me was, so you guys, many of, many of our church family here have heard of Scott, who's the executive director of the nonprofit that Lauren worked, where Lauren works and Ben, where they work. And he was in the midst of a move in the, when the fire struck. And he was moving into Kula, which is one of the places where the fires were. So there was a season where he didn't know. He, he knew he had to be out of this place, but didn't know if his new house was, was going to be standing because the fires were in that neighborhood. And thankfully, it was fine. 
but the stress of all that and somebody helped by getting pickup trucks to come and help them move and Scott was explaining to us that after the that day of moving this is about four or five pickup trucks just lined up strangers that he didn't even know that were there to help him you know move he found out that most of those people had lost their homes in the fire and here they were helping him you know so so to contrast that story with the story of you know this person that's calling you know wanting their demanding their refund right and so it just it just really shows us like you know we we have an opportunity to show Christ's love in every space that we enter you know we don't have to go all the way to Maui we don't have to go to Africa but maybe God calls us to and we need to be ready we need to be willing we need to just you know say okay Lord where are you sending me and and not be afraid to go because sometimes it could be scary right um, and so I just wanted to kind of contrast that story because we all have those opportunities, right? How do we respond? I want to um, just talk about one more person. I just want to share about Matthew and be willing to talk about Katie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, okay. Okay. Uh, Matthew is one of these men that I met, middle-aged man. He and his girlfriend um, lost their home. And he lost his job of 22 years on island. He's been on island about 25 years. And um, there's two things that's, that stuck out to me about meeting Matthew. One was that he showed me a picture of an acquaintance of his, not even a closest friend, but somebody that he knew from the Lahana community, which he said was a very, very tight-knit community. This person was running behind him as they were fleeing from the fire. And you probably heard there at this place that there was a traffic jam and there was mm-hmm. such chaos. People had to jump out of their cars to run because they could escape faster than being in their cars. So he did this. The guy behind him did that. And he said this guy was running behind him as the fire was catching up to them. And his, this guy was about mm-hmm. five yards behind him. He showed me a picture of this guy who was in the hospital and he had severe burns all over his face and his legs. But this guy, Matthew, was untouched. And he was only five yards behind him. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy, Matthew, is not a believer. But it was just really making him question, like, why this guy and not me? He mm-hmm. was only five yards between us. So that really, of course, struck him. But then he went out and told me that he had come a day prior to get some of those donations from that room that you see there in now he was here to pick up a donation check. And we told him about the church. I said, this church, the chapel's a good church, and they're going to be here. He had some nice, not, not so nice words to say about FEMA, the mm-hmm. government, but we'll leave that for another time. Mm-hmm. And then he said, but you know what? This church is filled with good people. He goes, I don't really believe in God. When I got my donations, a guy invited to a men's Bible study. I don't really know. Okay. He said, but I, because this church is helping, and these seem like nice people, he said he'd already been to three, in the past few weeks, three men's Bible studies. See, all it took was a guy in the church just saying, hey, you know what, like, we have a study on Tuesday. Come on out if you can make it here. We'd love to have you. And he did. And he's saying, because somebody invited him, because they were showing the love of Christ, how they were helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he 
you know, without getting into all the other FEMA conversation, he just mentioned that a lot of people promise a lot of things, but they don't actually deliver. And so even when he came to the church, he, you could tell he was a little cynical, kind of like, all right, let's see if this is actually going to happen, right? And so when it did, he was like, okay, wow, you know, wow. Like these guys, they do what they say they're going to do. And so that was, that was interesting to see. Um, before you close us with mm -hmm. talking about Haley, the, another thing that brought to our attention was about the children. And mm -hmm. thousands of children didn't have school to go to. There were schools mm -hmm. on every level that were destroyed. And there was chaos. We met some teachers that go to that church who were talking about these meetings they were having. Where are they going to get these kids to school? And kids that live in West Maui, which is where Lahaina is, because of the mountains, it's not just an easy you know, drive. And so are they going to bus these kids to schools that weren't destroyed in other parts? And we're going to put these kids on a bus where every day they'd have to pass the, the town that was destroyed. And you can see still a lot of it. We're going to do that to these kids and go to places they don't know when they're already traumatized. And what do they do? So there was... There was still a lot going on, and people were asking to pray for our kids because they had learned during COVID what it meant for their kids to be in community with their friends and not be isolated in their homes. They're like, we mm -hmm. need to get our kids into school. We don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So we, we, want, we were praying for them. And finally, another amazing story of God. One of the staff pastors at this church, his name is Derek, he has been there only six months. But he came on full time to be the very first pastor of counseling and care. He's got a counseling background. Only been there six months. He was a retired career firefighter from Seattle. So here he is. God puts him in this position, yeah. knowing what it's like to live the life of a first responder. And also has a background now in yeah. counseling, called to the ministry, yeah. and is now at church only six months getting his feet wet getting to know some people and all of a sudden there is this tragedy and he's thrown into this leadership position to head up what you see there in all of it caring for the people the caring for the hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations that were coming through the church that they were then giving out to these people in the forms of checks. so amazing what god was doing yeah and bringing up a person named like Derek there for such a time as that. Exactly. And, you know, most of you guys who know Lauren and Ben, uh, we feel the same way about how God, you know, brought them to Maui. And it, it was very much evident to us. And I have to say that the night that we got the call, the night the fires started, was actually their, their wedding anniversary. And we got the call and we were just thinking, oh, they're just checking in like it's their wedding anniversary. And they were calling to tell us that they had their go bags ready. Their friends down the street had just been evacuated and not to worry that they were paying attention and that they would be okay. You know, just the call that like mom wants, mom and dad want to hear. Um, and like, of course, right instantly we start praying. We start sharing the word, asking people to pray. Um, and, and, and really there was not much more we could do. We sent them some money, we, you know, but like, other than praying, um, not much more that we could do. But I have to tell you guys, soon it became so clear that God had specifically brought them both. Ben had been a missionary to Haiti for two years, working after the, 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 um, the devastation of the earthquake. And 
and then ministered, you know, to the homeless in New York City, right? Lauren had all this, has also worked with the, with the homeless, but she has this, this communications experience. And she was on, you know, many of us saw it. I shared with some of you guys. She was interviewed on CNN, interviewed on CBS to talk about what was happening in a way that was really, you know, effective. But the thing that, that blew my mind was, you know, the first interview, she was still shell-shocked. You know, she just kind of talked about the need. But the second interview, she had time to actually, like, get her thoughts together. And the first thing she said in that interview um, was, you know, she talked about the rescue mission, and she said, we do this because we're Jesus followers. And my, my request, and my, if before I even start this interview, is to ask people to please pray and to please fast for this island because this devastation is going to take years. And she just went on and then did, you know, the whole rest of the thing. And I remember just thinking, okay, God, you know, as much as I'm, you know, concerned about them and worried and trying to just trust him with all of it, the fact that it was so clear gave me so much peace to know that he, you know, and, and just a, a month prior at, the, at our women's, um, our women's bike ride, I shared about dangerous prayers. I talked to our women and I said, you know, we are so used to, and I'm sorry, I'm off script. I'll be quick. But we, you know, we talk about, you know, God, you know, please bless my food. Please bless my burger, right? Before I eat, you know, please keep us safe. We want to be safe. We understand that desire to be safe, but really the, the, the prayer is, Lord, where do, you, where do you want to use me? Search my heart. What are the things that scare me that I'm going to not go and do your will because my heart is too scared to go do it? You know, use me, God. We want to be available. And so um, it, it just, it all kind of came together, you know, that that's what God was teaching. As you can imagine, we have many more stories to share. And we just encourage you to talk to us. After service, in the coming weeks, we've been able to share many mm-hmm. you know, stories with many of you. And, um, so we have other, many other people to talk to you about uh, and what God is doing. But we want to leave you with this one other picture. But we didn't plan it this way, but the last day we were there was Lauren's birthday. And so we took one day out of those two weeks to celebrate Lauren. And um, she had a favorite restaurant that we went to. Everything there is outside. <laughs> so that should, certainly should be a favorite restaurant, right? We get to have that. It's not yeah. a picture in the background. It's actually nice. Yeah. And so we got to celebrate her. And it was a wonderful opportunity. Here's what I want to leave you with. This was on a previous trip. It's good that you can't really see it, but that's us. <laughs> We're under the banyan tree. Here's what I want to, I want to leave you with this. Many of you know about this, but there is a very famous tree in the middle of Lahaina. It's a banyan tree, and there's, uh, it's one of the largest in the country and in the world. It was gifted to Hawaii, put in Lahaina, um, over 100 years ago, I believe, by India. And um, banyan trees are unique in that as they grow really big, their branches, many of their branches grow down, and they touch the ground and grow into the ground and become their own um, root system, right? It's all one big tree. It sort of it looks like a bunch of trunks of different trees, but it's all one tree. It's a very famous tree. It creates a whole block of shade 
the locals there and the natives have used it for, um, again, decades and decades as a, as a place to gather, to celebrate, to mourn, to just get shade from the hot mountain sun. Um, and it used to be in the background for many, many wedding photos. It's a very special tree. So of course, this tree was damaged in the fire. And there's a, a picture of it now. They cordoned it off. But the tree is still alive. It's amazing you see the devastation around it, and it was scorched. All the, mm -hmm. the trunks are black, the leaves are gone. But so many people, church, that we talked, talked about the banyan tree, they said, mm -hmm. pray for the tree. <laughs> pray that the tree survives. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it always has been, and they want it to continue to be a symbol of hope. Because mm -hmm. if that tree in the middle of Ohio survives, the people there, whether they believe in God or not, they're going to have a sense of hope. And don't we all know that in the end we all know? Mm. Now, we, as the church, we know the only source of true hope. That's why we have the gospel to share mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. But you can point to this tree, this majestic mm -hmm. tree, and say, yeah, let's pray that God helps to preserve that tree. They're doing everything they can. There are teams of people aerating the soil, feeding it nutrients, caring for it. Experts come from around the world to daily check on the tree because they desperately want and need this tree mm -hmm. to survive, right? Because it's mm -hmm. right in the middle of town. They want it to be what they build Lahaina around. Mm -hmm. You know what? After weeks of checking on it, there's signs of hope. Mm -hmm. There's signs of life. You can see all the other brown leaves in the background destroyed, you know, and, and, and everything is burnt, but there he is, green leaves growing out of the tree. Mm. So that right there is a beautiful picture of hope for so many people. And it's a great reminder that we are continuing to pray for the people mm -hmm. of Mali. Pray for that church to survive. It's an anchor of the community. Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this hope, meaning hope in Jesus, and his place in heaven before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's what our hope in Christ is for us. It anchors us, and they desperately want this tree to be the continued anchor for their community. I want to leave you with that closing words you want to share. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think as we look around um, our world, you know, there, there is a lot going on, right? There's a lot of difficult things happening. And I just want to encourage us. You know, I, I hear all the time, I don't even watch the news anymore because it's too much. And I get it. I, I understand. My, my encouragement, though, is to say, let's, let's be aware and ready to do whatever we can do. We can all do something. We don't have to, you know, do everything. But whatever the Lord is putting on your heart to respond to, to serve and to go and to be a light in dark places, like that's our, that's our call. And so we can't just, you know, look away all, all the time. Sometimes we do need to look away for our own mental health. But, but what are we looking away to? Let's look away to the Lord. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on where our hope is so that we can regain strength to be able to get back into the, into the, the battle because it's real and, and the world needs us to be engaged and to be um, available. Would you stand with us and pray? Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here together. 
That was great, babe. Thank you. We only went a half hour long. <laughs> good.
Broken and good. 
Oh